In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are in chapter 21 of St. Matthew's Gospel. Uh, This is following the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We set that passage aside, we save it for Palm Sunday, Uh, but there is still uh, much teaching that Jesus does then between the triumphal entry and his crucifixion. So we are in the gospel now during Holy Week, after Jesus has gone into the city of Jerusalem, he's cleansed the temple, he goes back out of the city two miles away to Bethany to stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then he re-enters the city every day through Holy Week, and he goes into the temple precincts and he begins to have argument and discussion with the religious authorities, with the leaders, and he tells them to change their minds, to change their minds. The very idea that a person can change their mind and that that would make a difference is a radical understanding of uh, the, the faith of the Holy Scriptures. The rest of the world, most of uh, the pagan cultures around the world have an understanding of uh, fate, of destiny. Right? And that this fate and destiny is, destiny is really inescapable. Uh, you're going to be just the way your father was, or just the way your mother was, or this is the way our people are, this is the way we've done things, or um, you're somehow trapped into the fate of the gods, or of the stars, or the movement of the spheres. And there's all kinds of ways, material and spiritual, that pagan cultures have uh, talked about destiny and fate, but the message has been clear for most cultures and philosophies, which is that you're going to be who you are in the there's really nothing you can do about it. And this is directly contrary to Scripture. Scripture holds fast from beginning to end to free will and to our ability to choose and to choose whether we're going to do right and receive those rewards or whether we're going to do wrong and receive those. And this is really a radical understanding um, throughout world culture. It's a radical understanding even for the nation of Israel and even for the prophet Ezekiel as he is in Babylon. You remember that the prophet Ezekiel does all of his ministry in Babylon, right? In present-day Iraq. That he is um, there under kind of house arrest. um, That he is working for the Babylonians um, as a submitted kind of a slave and liege to them. And uh, he is um, understanding and he is reflecting upon the consequences of the nation. Now you might say, well, how is it that the nation as a whole is going to suffer? And we see this worked out all the way from Moses um, through um, a thousand years before Ezekiel to King David 500 years before to this time period, about 560, 570 B.C., uh, where we understand that the leaders of Israel and their uh, unwillingness to submit to God is leading to a consequence for the entire people. So we know that some people's sin can have a bigger consequence than others, depending on their authority and power, right? The greater the authority and power, the greater the sin, the more consequences are going to be devastating to the people around them. And this is what we see for the kings of Judah. Their sin leads to a massive consequence for the people so that the whole nation is taken into exile. In, in that moment, the Lord speaks to the prophet Ezekiel and he says, stop it with this fate nonsense, right? Because people are saying, well, this is our fate, this is our destiny. And he says, you've got a choice. You've got a choice about how you're going to live and you've got a choice about what kind of consequences you want. He says, all souls are mine. All souls belong to me, all people. 
sons and fathers, right? And I'm going to judge each of them according to the decisions that they make. He says, um, he um, will die for it that chooses sin for the injustice that he has done, he shall die. And when a wicked person, right, a person who is doing wickedness, who is identified as wicked, turns away from that wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his soul alive because he has considered and turned away. He has considered. See, we're rational creatures, right? The Lord has made us to be rational creatures who are made in the image of God. We have the ability to consider, to think, to reflect. This is unlike any other animal in creation. We have the ability to stop and to allow our minds to come into concert with the Lord's mind, to look at the natural order and to see um, what is it that's going to be right and how am I going to determine that. And then we have the power to actually execute what we've considered, right? And this natural way of thinking about what are the consequences and the rewards and what am I supposed to do um, is called repentance. And sometimes we hear that word and we think, oh, that's some kind of a fancy theological word, repentance. What does that really mean? No, it's a very simple thing, right? It means that I was doing wickedness and I stop and I consider it and I say, hey, wait a minute. Oh, there's going to be some consequences to this. What are my other options? Gee, I could do this or I could do this. Hey, that's the right thing to do. It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may take some doing, some getting used to, but I think I'll do that. And we turn to do that. That's repentance. See how complex it is? I was doing what was wrong, I consider and think about it, and then I decide and actually do what is right. And the Lord says, when we decide that, when we decide to do what's right, when we come into concert with His will, then we receive those benefits of blessing. And not only us, but those around us, those who turn from their transgressions. And He says that He gives us a new heart and a new soul, which sometimes we think, well, isn't that the Lord's job? Doesn't the Lord give us new hearts and souls? Well, certainly He gives us the grace. He gives us the mercy, right? He's the electricity that we plug into, right? We can't have the music without Him. We've got to be able to plug into His power and grace to do it. But it still remains a choice because He's a gentleman, right? He's not a puppet master. He's not a hypnotist. He's not just going to get in there and flip a switch and make us do what's right. Right? We have a choice to make. We have a decision to make. And we know that the decisions that we make day in and day out make our hearts and minds the way that they are. We get a taste, don't we? We get a taste for things. So I eat an apple today and I eat an apple tomorrow. I'm likely to have a taste for apples the next day. If I steal an apple today and I steal an apple tomorrow, I'm likely going to have a taste to steal an apple the next day. The choices that we make start to become who we are. We find that these habits that we create, then these little tiny choices day after day, start to create a taste and a person that we become. And our hearts and minds become shaped more and more by us continuing upon that path. And the Lord says, wait a minute. You are making choices. And you can choose a new heart and a new soul by choosing justice, by choosing righteousness, by choosing the ways of God and in choosing doing them and that's the point that Jesus really drives home doesn't he with this what I would call a very simple parable um, but sometimes we get caught up in funny things right this parable of the two sons and their choice sometimes people make a really big deal about who the father is right um, whether there's a father or there isn't a father for these sons to follow, which is ridiculousness. Everybody knows that there is a God. You talk to any child, 
anywhere they know that there's a God and they know the difference between right and wrong. You can find them at three years old in the playground, you can ask them about God and right and wrong, and they'll tell you a little something about it. Atheism, the denial of God, is something that people work really hard to do, to convince themselves and to try to convince other people, and it takes a lot of effort and convoluted thinking that is not according to the natural order of the way God has made man and his creation, right? So we know that there's a God. We know that there's a right and wrong. That's not the consideration. The Father has told them the way to act. The question is whether we think that saying we're going to do it is really important. Because the religious leaders sometimes get really bent on this, what you say, being important. You said the prayer of salvation. You took the baptismal vows. You promised to do what's right. And? Okay. If I'm wandering off with all kinds of people every night after work, and you come to me and say, Father, how would I thought you were married? And I say, well, I am. I took a vow. <laughs> Hopefully that will be your reaction. You'll laugh. And you'll say, uh, yeah, you did. Right? And? Are you following what you said that you were going to do? Our baptismal vows are no different. We said that we were going to submit to Christ in baptism. Are we? And this is what we're here to do. We are here to practice together, submitting our hearts and our minds, practicing doing the will of God. And if we start thinking that because we said something, or we prayed something, or we made some kind of a vow, and that means really anything then we have gotten really confused, as confused as this son in the parable. Yes, we need to know what we vowed. We need to know what we've promised. We need to know what we've prayed. And then we need to do it. We need to do it. And this is the simple message that Jesus holds up. What do you think? Saying it or doing it? What's important? And he holds up as examples the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Why then? Because they're in bad shape. Because it's easy for them to say, my life is a mess, right? The tax collector is a traitor to his country, right? He's a traitor to his people, a traitor to his religion. He's chosen money, right, over family and over country. The prostitute has given up the image of God within her body and soul and chosen something other than the righteousness of God, and she's receiving the consequences, both of them, for those actions. And it's easy for them to say, I am going the wrong direction. I need to make a change in my life. It's the rest of us that, you know, seems like we're doing pretty well, that are in real trouble. Because we are used to looking at other people and saying, well, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that guy. And we start to compare ourselves to others and, and condemning people who are really sick and in need in order to justify ourselves. And that is a sickness that requires repentance and coming to a submission to the mind of God. And St. Paul warns us we cannot do it if we think more of ourselves than we should. He says if we count others more significant than ourselves. Right? So we need to submit completely to the will of God.
We need to submit completely to the will of God in community. St. Paul says if we're going to receive any encouragement, any comfort, any love, any sympathy, any joy, we're going to do that by being of the same mind. By being of the same mind and heart, we come here together to be in concert, to practice being in concert with God, with seeking His will and submitting ourselves to Him. And it's in that being in concert and being in unity that we find the true Christ. Because this is not a philosophy. If Christianity was a philosophy, then we would all say, yeah, I get the key points and principles, and I'm practicing in my own life, and I can do it wherever I do it. But that is not what Christianity is at all, right? People say, well, I can worship God up in the mountains, or I can worship them anywhere else. Um, that'd be like saying, would you come to my birthday party? And then you saying, oh, I'm going to remember you on your birthday. I'm going to celebrate it, but I'm going to go and do it over here. Right? And you'd say, uh, what? We, we have to come together to celebrate the birthday together. And we are coming together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to do it together. And if we're going to be in one mind with Christ, we know that we've got to get together to do that. You and mine can, you and I cannot be of the same mind apart. We can't do it. If we said, we, hey, we've got to agree and we've got to come up with a plan and we never meet, we never talk about it, we never submit to the plan and say, yeah, I'm going to give up something for it, and you give up something for it, and we're going to work together, then we never submit. And we never find that plan, and we never accomplish that goal, which is to be in love and comfort and unity and encouragement and affection and sympathy, which are really wonderful blessings that the Lord would give to us. Wonderful blessings. So we come together. And what do we do? We have to focus upon Christ. St. Paul in this letter to the Philippians chapter 2 says, Consider the life of Christ. Consider how he gave up his own life for us. How he gave up being in glory with God the Father and submitted himself to become man. Think about how he gave up that glory and submitted himself to feed and serve the poor. Think about how he gave up his life for us, right? Think about the life of Christ. Think about how he took up human form and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. We need to think about that. We need to together come here to focus upon the life of Christ and we need to focus upon the life of the saints who have come before us and say, well, how did they do that? This is why we have all of these saints up here because all of them reflect, not themselves, but they reflect their obedience and submission to the will of God. And we can say, oh, that's how you do it. That's how you do it, right? And they are poor men and rich women and they are from Africa and they're from Asia and they're from Europe and they're young and they're old and they're talented and they're um, untalented and they're smart and they're stupid and they're all submitted to God and, and submitted to His will and unity. And that is hope for each of us and an example for each of us that we too can be submitted to the life of Christ and we can receive that significance. We can receive that affection and love. Well, if you go into the craft stores, the poster they have is Live, Laugh, Love. But it turns out that's not what St. Paul had on his wall. The poster that St. Paul had on his wall, 
that his mother needle pointed for him is fear and trembling. Surprising, it's not more popular. Huh? We don't see that above more kitchens. Fear and trembling. Fear. And sometimes people like to couch this and say, well, he's really talking about respect. I think that the translators of some of these Bibles would love to put respect instead of fear in there. And they just can't seem to quite get themselves to do it. Because we're talking about real, honest-to-goodness fear, which is what we should have for the consequence of sin. We should fear those consequences. We should fear the judgment of God because He is righteous and holy and He has promised that He will give us exactly what we ask for. Terrifying. Right? Some people freeze in fear. Some people fight. Some people run away. We are called to submit. To lay ourselves down before Him. To expose our necks. And to say, Lord, I am humbled before You. I can do nothing without You. And then we act upon our vows that we have promised in prayer and before God with trembling. That means knowing the burden and the weight of the consequences of what we do, that those around us will be affected by our willingness to submit to God in His righteousness and justice. And we should do this with true, true fear and trembling. And when we do, when we do, the windows of heaven are open. The grace of God is opened in this place when we submit to the Lord and to His will. The Holy Spirit flows among us and through us and His grace and His mercy flows between us and those blessings that He has promised that He desires wholeheartedly to give us which is eternal life with Him will come and be with us and with those that we love and for those whom we pray and our hearts ache that they would know and see the face of God. May the windows of heaven be opened here today and forevermore. Amen. Amen.